is your neighbour? If I were to ask you who your neighbour was, you'd probably mention, well, the family living next door, or perhaps the family across the street. But have you ever wondered how far down the street you have to go if someone stops being your neighbour? You could say, well, I know that there's this family who live half a mile away, in a couple of streets by, but are they really my neighbour? What defines the boundary of neighbourhood and who exactly are our neighbours? Now, these questions might seem fairly trivial on the surface, but they have significant implications in our lives. In fact, this passage we're looking at today is one of the most famous incidents in all of the ministry of Christ. And it revolves around him being asked this exact question by the first century equivalent of a lawyer. And this question will lead to a discussion about the concept of being a neighbour. And Jesus responds to the question of who is my neighbour with this very well-known parable. I'm sure you've heard about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's revisit this famous story today in the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Okay, here we are, friends. We're going to kick off in this, probably the most famous parable that Jesus told, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm going to begin by just reading directly the whole passage of text, then we'll work through it together, and I'll try and draw together at the end and see what I think Jesus is really trying to teach us. So it's going to pick up at verse 25, and I'm going to read through to verse 37. And it tells us this. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said this, A man was coming down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have incurred. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus said, the expert in the law required, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus then told him, go and do likewise. Okay, just to summarize the story, here we have in this opening verse, we see this lawyer testing Jesus, asking him the question, what should I do to have eternal life? 
Jesus' response is to prompt him back and ask him, well, what does it say in the law about such things, referring to the Mosaic law? And now this lawyer, this, this scribe, he correctly answers that the law says that one should love the Lord with all your heart, your soul and your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus agrees and affirms his response right back at him, urging him simply to say, yeah, well then, that's it. Do that. Go and live accordingly. However, what lies behind this, of course, is we see now the lawyer is seeking to test the limits of this attitude, how far it should go. So he does that by asking Jesus, who then is my neighbor? And it is at this point that Jesus chooses to share this famous parable in response to that question. In the story, we see this man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and falling victim to thieves who rob him and leave him half dead by the side of the road. And then we see this priest and this Levi passing by without aiding him until the Samaritan comes along. A Samaritan, remember, someone considered an outsider and shows compassion. The Samaritan tends to the wounded man, takes him to an inn, ensures he's cared for, pays for his expenses and offers to cover the expenses in the future. So after recounting this story, this parable, Jesus then poses the question to the lawyer, which of these three people who responded or were in this situation, who saw this man, which of them was a, a neighbor to the man who had fallen victim to the thieves and the robbers? And the lawyer quite rightly replies, the one who showed mercy on him. And of course, as I said, Jesus' instruction says, go do likewise. Now, in this passage, there are two key questions asked and two key questions to answer. The first one was, what shall I do to inherit the life? And Jesus, to inherit, sorry, internal life. And Jesus' response to that leads to a parable and a discussion about who is our neighbor. So in understanding these questions, we need to recognize that the lawyer's initial question about receiving eternal life is synonymous with entering the kingdom of God. And this encounter serves as a reminder that our motives for doing stuff, for even doing the will of God, are very important. True understanding of what it means to be a follower of the will of God is more than about understanding and seeking correct theological information. You see, in the context of the passage, the lawyer's initial question about eternal life would have encountered what it meant for him in his mind that he needed to do to ensure he entered the kingdom. And it seems that Jesus attempts to actually draw the subject out and focus in on the wider question that lies behind it. But in a sense, the lawyer fails to grasp the depths of the response. Well, certainly at the beginning of the interaction anyway. So we see his initial response of, in terms of his question about getting gaining heaven. Jesus initially directs him to say what is written in the law. What does it say in the law of God, the law revealed to Moses, that we need to do or have in order to have the means of salvation. The purpose of him asking that was not just to reveal a correct theological response, but to try and get this guy to recognize his need of a savior, 
Now, the lawyer at this opening point certainly had less than pure motives. He answers the question theologically correctly. In fact, he's drawing from scriptures like Deuteronomy 6 and 19. But despite the lawyer's apparently correct answer, the heart of the matter not, does not lie in the theological process, but in recognizing the need for salvations. And the lawyer's question that follows that tends to see the limits of what's really going on here. Jesus' initial response to him quoting the law in this way is to agree with that quotation about loving God and loving your neighbours about himself. But if the lawyer was genuinely seeking information about entering the kingdom, he should have recognised the impossibility of fulfilling these commandments completely. And Jesus here, through his interaction, he's subtly exposing the lawyer's inability to keep the very commandment that he has just verbalized, thereby hopefully pointing out and allowing him to recognize his need of a savior. Verse 25, we see Jesus saying, you have answered rightly. And he literally throws it back at him. He says, well, simply go do this and you will live. However, the lawyer's perhaps still focusing on trying to justify himself or try and point a limitation to just how much he needs to do in this matter and still gain access to the kingdom of God, proceeds with the second question. The key is, he then says, who is my neighbor? This reveals the nuances of the lawyer's motives. He's testing Jesus, so he's now seeking justification, he's in a sense attempting to find limitation, loopholes to the commandment as to who exactly are these people we're supposed to love. And by setting limits on that, he wants to define who is our neighbour and what is our neighbourhood. So the lawyer's question sets the stage for Jesus' response with this amazing parable, the story of the Good Samaritan. And it, his purpose is, of course, to emphasize the broader definition of neighbor and neighborhood. So in the following verses, we saw Jesus tell the story where a Samaritan remembers someone absolutely considered an outsider is the very one who truly depicts true neighborly love, if you like, by helping this wounded man. It's important to note that the man is ignored by the religious people in the story, and Jesus challenges this man by telling the story and then saying to him, well, who acted as the neighbor in the story? Prompting the man to correctly say, well, yeah, the man, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus then says, go do likewise. Reinforcing again that ultimately the call to love one's neighbor is a call not to define the neighborhood, but to accept that one's neighbor, one's neighborhood, if you like, should be without boundaries. The passage is rooted initially in the lawyer's questions, but Jesus' responses serve as a profound lesson on how we, not just that man, we today have access to eternal life. And it lies in the importance of recognizing our own sinfulness, recognizing our own inability to keep the law in this way and actually recognize our need of a savior. And we do that ultimately, most effectively, by expanding our concept of God's call in our lives, that call to love others. Now, despite commonly being referred to as a parable, some heavyweight theologians argue that this story is in fact probably 
a factual account of a real event that would have been experienced and recognised very much at that time. Given the dangers of the uh, that were experienced on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho during that time, it would have been a common experience, a common story. It happened all the time. It was a treacherous journey in the first century, plagued by robbers, making this narrative a probable reflection, a referring to a very recent occurrence that has just happened. That being the case, perhaps the man in the story is very much going likely to be based on the description of where he's coming from and going to very likely to be Jewish, possibly a religious man himself, a priest. Some would say his, his solitary journey, of course, would have made him an easy target. And we find out in the story that indeed this guy falls among thieves and they strip him, beat him, leave him half dead at the side of the road. But this is the unfortunate event that set stage for the moral lesson and the opportunity to express God's love. And to, for Jesus is using this type of story as a way of giving us this insight. Isn't it often the case that the tragedies, the difficult events around us are the opportunities to not only learn, but to demonstrate our the love of God by ministering into them? Anyway, Jesus introduces in this, the narrative a priest who tells us by chance upon the wounded man. Now, the use of the word by chance is worth considering. It urges us to consider the priest's response in the fact that he was it came upon him in the moment, not knowing that this was going to happen. One can imagine the various thoughts that might have been crossing the priest's mind. Perhaps a desire to get home after a hard day's long religious activity. Maybe he even had a fear of falling victim to a robber himself if the road was that bad. The perilous road from Jerusalem to as I've said, from Jerusalem to Jericho was notorious. It was infested with robbers. The descent of that road was a 3,600 foot descent from the mountainous Jerusalem area down into the valley, which was where Jericho was situated. And it was a narrow path with high sides on the wall at that uh, high sides at that time, which made it an ideal setting for thieves to prey on those travelers. In fact, Historical accounts say that even up to the beginning of the 20th century, this was recognized as a dangerous route to travel. Now the priest who's traveling this route opts to pass on the other side. He completely neglects, ignores the injured man. So here Jesus is, by choosing to make this man in the story a religious man, a priest in fact, he introduces the tension that we all experience between what we feel our religious obligations are and our actual practical compassionate actions. The priest may have actually feared getting involved in this situation because he was worried about ritual contamination. And for that reason, he avoided help helping the man. Again, illustrating the stark contrast that can lie, the dichotomy that can lie between religious duty and the expression of it and true neighborly love and putting one incorrectly above the other. Then in verse 32, a Levite, likely someone who would have been an assistant to a priest, he also arrives at the scene. He looks at the, the wounded man and similarly decides to pass by on the other side. So the Levi's, Levite's actions mirror the priest. 
possibly driven by the same concerns about ritual purity or about personal safety. And in the next section, we see the actions of this third passerby, the unexpected hero of the story, the Samaritans. Jesus here, let's be clear, he's deliberately employing the, in this narrative the Samaritan to challenge the societal norms and how they were viewed at that time in order to redefine for everyone, for this guy listening to him today and for us today, helping us to redefine the concept of who we consider a neighbor. This way he's emphasizing compassion and selfless care is a call upon us beyond any cultural or even religious boundaries. The choice of a Samaritan in this story is absolutely intentional. It takes account of the fact that there's a historical animosity between Jews and Samaritans that we've talked about already several times. The lawyer being Jewish, the Levite, the priest, absolutely Jewish, would have felt the tension. This lawyer talking to Jesus on this day would have absolutely felt the tension in making the despised Samaritan the compassionate figure in the story. The Samaritan's response is characterized by that compassion. Not only is he seen to attend to the man's wounds, but his actions extend beyond offering mere first aid. He goes the extra mile, so to speak. He recognizes the the injured man's inability at that point to care for himself. He's been left half for dead. Remember, it says he probably couldn't walk. So he places him on his own animal, likely a donkey, and he transports him to the nearest inn. The mention of the inn is noteworthy as Travellers along these dangerous roads would often seek refuge in such establishments, particularly as twilight began to fall. So the, the Samaritan here is actually seen to take personal responsibility for this injured man's care. Spending the night with him at the inn, in itself a gesture of great generosity, but he also provides the innkeeper with an additional two denarii, covering the cost of the wounded man's stay, and importantly, the fact that he commits to the additional expenses of pledging to repay any further costs the next time he passes by. Wow, you can't fail to see the contrast between the actions of the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan. It's stark, isn't it? The religious leaders, the people who symbolize devotion and piety, they still chose to avoid this wounded man, while this excuse me, despised Samaritan exemplifies true godly compassion and selfless care. So Jesus concludes the story with this parable, which is there to challenge the lawyer's preconceptions about who a neighbor really is, revealed by his desire to set a limit on the boundary of who is a neighbor by asking the question in itself, who is my neighbor? The lesson, the response is clear. Compassion, the love of God, should know no cultural or even religious boundaries. The Samaritan, in that day, traditionally viewed as the outsider, becomes the model of anyone today, saying they're all can be neighbors. Anyone is a neighbor and becomes a neighbor by us demonstrating genuine love and care for them when they're in need. This is a timeless action, a timeless story that echoes through history. It should prompt us to reflect on our own attitudes and actions towards those in distress. It encourages us to transcend our biases, go above and beyond our religious preconceptions, inspiring compassion and engagement with others. 
even when it requires we go against the societal norms of the day. As an interesting aside, in 1973, Princeton Theological College conducted a research project in which the students in that year were asked to prepare a sermon on this, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that they were presented to their, follow, their classmates the following week. On the day of the presentations, the Samaritans arrived at the class to be met by someone at the door who would say, oh no, you're late. It's not actually in the class. They were told that the, the venue was going to be in the chapel across the, ca the campus, so they were to go there and make their presentation, mimicking, if you like, this sense of urgency and the fact that they had to get somewhere. Meanwhile, the researchers had enlisted the help of an actor to play the role of a person who had fallen ill and was in need of assistance, and they placed him at the side of the path in the main quadrangle between the class and the chapel. Well, you can guess what happened, can't you? It seems that 90% of those Christian seminary students went on the way to the chapel, rushing, ignoring the sick man because they were in haste, ironically, to deliver a message on the parable of the Good Samaritan. One, it is believed, literally stepped over the victim as he hurried on his way. So here it is. In this parable, Jesus has posed a very real question and he po by this man, but he poses one back at the end. And he asks this guy, this expert in the law, which of these do you think was really the neighbour to this injured man? This shift in, in focus, this switch around at the end is absolutely cr crucial. Remember, it's the lawyer who initially asked, who is my neighbour? But Jesus redirects the question to emphasise, who is the one who proved to be a good neighbour? This is crucial. The lawyer has now faced the with the dilemma of recognising that genuine love, genuine neighbourliness, <laughs> transcends cultural and religious norms and he in this verse thankfully he acknowledges the fact and says well it was the one the one guy who should showed mercy on him thus bringing this man to a point where he was able to avoid that narrow religious theological legalistic definition and was able to recognize that the samaritan in this story was the one who showed he was a good neighbour by his compassionate actions. So the essence, the core of the story becomes clear. It's revealed at the end. A neighbour, our neighbour, is not determined by proximity. Our neighbour, uh, uh, our neighbourliness, our neighbourhood is outlined, if you like, by the, the boundaries that we set on the love and mercy we show to those in need. The lawyer in the story Caught between wanting to use the ceremonial laws and the legalistic, he was confronted instead with the command to love, recognizing the truth that love is without boundaries, and he wisely chose the latter. The lesson is profound, friends. A neighbor today is anyone in need, and love transcends all boundaries. The man challenging Jesus is challenging him initially to try and set a limit to extend the boundary on his understanding of what it means to be a neighbour 
But Jesus says, no, it has to go way beyond that which is familiar to you and even that which is expected by you. Love is the defining factor because it is love that transforms any person into our neighbor, emphasizing the need to immediately help those who we can, anyone in need. Your neighbor, Jesus tells us, is anyone who is in need, anyone who has a need that you can meet. And the distinction is crucial because there may be instances that we may feel compassion, but we do not feel we have the resources or the ability to meet a particular need. The Samaritan here was equipped with the necessary provisions. He had time and compassion, and that exemplifies the principle. But our response out of, of compassion must always be there, no matter how intractable the situation we see and we face. So, in conclusion, I think that at the end of this, Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that our neighbour is not only not limited by geographical or cultural boundaries, it is also not confined to those who are familiar or even friendly towards us. It has to extend to those situations that are unknown or even unfriendly, perhaps even hostile. This story challenges preconceived notions and, ur and urges us to have a much broader perspective on what qualifies as our neighbour, those we're called to care for. Love is called to be demonstrated through tangible action, and that tangible action means meeting the needs of others. And that is the essence of true neighbourliness, truly loving your neighbour. Your neighbour, you see, might appear for you in this day and age as someone who's not really well how can i say it attracted or attractive to you or appears in a very unexpected way there was nothing attractive about a man lying in a pool of blood by the side of the road was there was there so your neighbor may appear as unknown unfriendly an un a situation that you don't love aren't involved in and don't want to be involved in so the definition of neighborhood here has nothing to do with location. It's nothing to do with geography. It's nothing to do with this, this, the town in which you live, the street in which you live, the citizenship, or even the country in which you live. It's all of those things, but it goes way beyond all of those things. The concept of neighborhood is more than merely the person living next door or the one that is uh, culturally similar to you. Jesus defines neighbor for us now, and he has, says there's three aspects to it. Firstly, we must help people even when they've brought trouble on themselves, even when they've gone down that road by themselves. You know, some people metaphorically choose to walk very dangerous paths in life. Dangerous in terms of the decisions that they make, both physical and spiritual, the things they do in their life. But we still are called to minister to them when the consequences of those wrong actions kick in. Number two, any person of any nation who is in need of our help is by nature our neighbor. And our help must be offered as wide and as high and as broad as the love of God himself. The help may be practical, but let's be clear, it, practical, it can be physical, but it is much more than just a sense of feeling sorry for someone. Compassion, to be real, must mean meeting the needs of someone in some way or another. 
Not always in the way they expected or perhaps even wanted, but it's certainly about meeting the needs with a motivation for love to help them. You can meet the need by feeding someone who is hungry, that's obvious, assisting someone find a place to heap. But it could even be practically equipping, encouraging and helping someone to beat an addiction, to find a job. It can maybe even just mean coming to the aid of someone who's gone, who's, who's really struggling, maybe with anxiety or the effects of, uh, of a bereavement, literally healing a broken heart. It's, in, it's all about encouraging the discouraged. It's ministering to both the spiritual and the physical needs of anyone who needs it. Because Jesus has told us that anyone and everyone out there is our neighbour. You see, the definition of a neighbour embedded in this story is actually becomes anyone who has, is in need. Okay, let me close by just a couple of thoughts. And that is... Let me let me warn you that this type of compassion, this type of practical compassion actually costs. There can be a very high cost to caring. It will, can cost you energy, commitment. It can even maybe cost you money. But there's a higher cost, friends, a much higher cost by choosing not to get involved. Because the cost is by not doing anything, by walking on the other side of the low road, you're losing the opportunity to become more Christ-like. You use the opportunity to not only grow in your own grace, but to express that grace of others. You lose the chance to make a real difference in someone else's life. And you lose the chance on a macro level of being, well, a good influence in an overwhelmingly evil world. So the final observation I want to make is this story really challenges us to change our perception to how the world really is and who we really are, to change our outlook and to the way we see everything and every situation. You see, to the thieves, the travelling Jew was an opportunity, a victim to exploit, so they attacked him. To the priest and the Levite, he was seen as a nuisance to avoid. So they ignored him. But to the Samaritan, to the good Samaritan, he was an opportunity to see someone as a neighbor and to love and to help him. So if you really want to think about this passage, the question you need to ask yourself is not who is my neighbor, because we now know our neighbor is potentially everyone. But the question we should simply be asking is, who can I can help? Where can I can help? Do you sometimes see situations, friends, as problems or interruptions to your life when we should really see those in need as opportunities to express the love of God? So I think this story, when probed to its full spiritual depth, we find it's really about how we see people and how we see ourselves. Do we see this world as our neighborhood? Because at the end of the parable, Jesus doesn't focus on the person he doesn't focus on the neighbor, he focuses on the neighborhood and he tells us the neighborhood is this entire world. So the real question I believe here is how do you view yourself and how do you see other people? Are they someone in need? Are they someone who's a nuisance? Are they someone who's a danger to you? Or are they an opportunity to respond in mercy and compassion and help? So what it really comes down to is how you see yourself and how you take this as an opportunity to change the way you look at yourself and you look at the world. 
So what I'm simply suggesting today is you think, simply think less of yourself and you see other people and their needs and you respond to them in love and grace. And then, my friend, you have truly become a good Samaritan, a truly good neighbour. A good neighbour, a good friend, a good Samaritan, a good support to those that God places in your path. And isn't that worth embracing? Okay, that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. I do hope I'll see you back here again tomorrow. If you're here for the first time, then why not subscribe and not miss another single episode. And if you're a regular and finding this helpful, then why not consider liking or sharing it so other people might encounter it. I remind you that the podcast is hosted on the Bible Project at buzzsprite.com there you'll find links to all the ways you can connect with this ministry, as well as an extensive episode notes page and even a full transcript of everything I've said today. Those are available for every single episode at that place. Take them, use them in whatever way you want. They're free, free of cost, freely available, free of copyright for you to use in whatever day you find helpful for building the kingdom of God in your heart and in the place that God has placed you in this world. So thanks again for being with me, and I hope I see you back here again tomorrow. So, bye-bye for now.